0: Welcome. This is the Woodbury Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. We're glad that you tuned in, and if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find out all the information at woodburychurch.org, or we'll see you some Sunday, Sundays at 10 a.m. Looking forward to it. We are in our final element of this series. We've been talking about the elements, the essence of a belief, and we're in the final element here. Occasionally, I invite people to church. It's always a little teeny tiny awkward for me because it does feel weird to say, hey, come listen to me talk at you. But I don't phrase it that way. I try to make it sound a little better. Uh, but recently, there was this guy I've known for a little while. So I said, hey, you know, you should come to, you should come to church sometime. But his, his response was kind of quick. And it wasn't impolite. It wasn't rude. But it was just church isn't for me. Just church isn't for me. Now, this is tough because if you were a doctor and you were talking to somebody who said, eh, clinics aren't for me, or if you worked at a restaurant and somebody said restaurants aren't for me, you'd want to know, right? There's a story there, but it's sensitive. You don't want to just like dive right in the deep end because there's something there. And so I said, can I ask you a personal question? Um, he said yes. And I said, why? Why isn't church for you? Can you, can you explain? Uh, and his response, again, was really short, really quick. And he just said, I had a bad experience. Now, I'm fairly certain his bad experience wasn't stale communion. It wasn't bad singing. It wasn't a carpet stain. It wasn't not being able to find a parking spot. I'm fairly certain that the bad experience was someone had hurt him in some way. Someone had mistreated him, someone was unkind to him, something had happened, there was some bad experience, and it could be a real wide range, but something along those lines. Now, he didn't say, Jesus isn't for me, he said, church isn't for me. Now, there are actually public approval numbers about this, because this is unfortunately common, so there's actual polls. So if you were to go out and ask the average person, you would find out that 87% of people like Jesus. 87%, 87%, and I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, are there 13% that are like, "Yeah, it's no good. I don't." Who's the? Who are those people? I haven't met those people. But according to public opinion polls, 87% of people like Jesus, but only 21% of people uh, like the church or value the church. Now, that's still beating Congress, but it's not saying very much at all. People do not seem to like church very well. And some of you are like, ah, who cares, Patrick? Who cares about public approval numbers? I agree. I'm not necessarily worried about the public approval numbers. What I'm worried about is that gap. Between the 21% and the 87%. What happened that so many people seem to appreciate Jesus and struggle with the church? What, what, what's going on there? That's the real struggle. In, in my experience, the gap is between expectation and experience. People had an expectation of what church would be based on Jesus, right? They had some idea. They expected love because of what Jesus taught, but they got to church and maybe they experienced indifference. They, they expected grace and maybe they experienced judgment or expected trust and experienced betrayal, expected acceptance, experienced exclusion. And, and, and I bet what happened to my church isn't for me, friend. I bet he had an expectation, didn't have that experience and decided not to open himself up to vulnerability again. For a lot of Americans, and by the way, I think this is probably worth pointing out that this is primarily a Western mindset. This isn't something you'll experience world, worldwide. This is sort of a uniquely American Western phenomenon. They'll say, I believe in God. I, I even believe in the Bible. I certainly believe in Jesus. I do not believe in the church. I do not believe in the church. I love Jesus, just not the church. Now here's the thing. I sympathize, I work at a church. I work here and I sympathize with that sentiment. I can understand that sentiment. I have had bad church experiences. My very first one was when I was 12 years old We didn't have a lot of church options. This was not the Midwest where there was a church every street corner. And so we found this church, and it was one of the few that we could go to, and they... They were a bad church. I don't know how else you, you explain it. They were a bad church. Now, we shared 99.9% of spiritual DNA with this small group of people. We shared everything that truly mattered about, about God and about Jesus and about salvation and about the Bible. But they had one extra, one extra thing that should have been way down on the list that they had elevated to an essential and they had made a pillar of their doctrine. And because of that one thing, when we showed up and they quizzed us, I shouldn't say they quizzed us, they quizzed my parents. I'm 12, what do I know? I'm just along for the ride. When they quizzed my parents, uh, they said, oh, well, that's going to be a real problem. That's going to be a real issue. So what they did is they let us attend, but that was it. And they were very clear to make sure that we knew we were not included. We were outsiders. I was asking my parents about this, like, what was it like for them? So zero participation in church life, you know, no teaching, no uh, doing a communion talk, no praying, no nothing. In fact, I just found this out recently. My mom said she couldn't even bring a jello salad to the church picnic. I mean, God forbid that had you brought something to the church picnic that you might start to think that you're one of the in crowd. You have to accept me now because you like my casserole. Couldn't even do that. Interestingly, they would accept one thing from us. Oh, you guys know. You know, they were totally fine taking our contributions of money, but nothing else. Now, if the parents were kind of uh, standoffish and distant, imagine what the kids were like. Because believe it or not, this was a small church. I know it's shocking. How could a church like this that sounds so wonderful and loving and gracious be small? But they were a small church. Now, if the parents were kind of mean, imagine what the kids were like. And I just remember standing outside the front of that building and just totally being ignorant. Being intentionally made to feel like I did not belong, that I was an outsider, that I wasn't supposed to participate here. Now, that's one bad church experience for me. And some of you were like, oh, cry me a river, Patrick. So a few people didn't like you. Who cares? And I realize I get it. There are church experiences that range from kind of the mild, like I'm sharing with you, to the absolutely appalling. There's a wide range of experiences. I'm not trying to say that mine is somehow the worst, but you still have to wrestle with questions. That raises questions in a young kid's mind. Is this what Christianity is? Is This this is what Christianity produces? Are all churches... Like this, or, or how about this one? Why am I more accepted by my non-church friends, and why am I more comfortable in my outside-of-the-church relationships than I am inside? People have to wrestle with those questions based on church experiences. It, here's a sad truth. You're not gonna hear this very often at a church, but here's a sad truth. Everyone has had a bad church experience. Every single one of you in this room has had a bad church experience. It may be mild, you know. It may be that someone didn't say hi to you on a Sunday morning, and it may be absolutely terrible. But everyone has one, and that's, that's, the, that's the problem. And I, I totally understand why people start to think, like, is this whole thing even worth it? Church isn't for me. So here's the question that we're going to wrestle with this morning. Is it reasonable to believe in and pursue a connection and have a relationship with church? Is it reasonable? Now, I'm not gonna keep you in suspense. It would be like uh, asking the IRS agent, is it reasonable for me to pay taxes? I mean, I work at a church. The answer is yes. The answer is overwhelmingly yes, and we're gonna get to that. But I want us to understand that I'm not trying to have blinders on when we talk about this, like to try to pretend everything's perfect. Because in fact, that's sometimes how churches get incredibly bad is because they just try to sweep all the bad stuff under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist, pretend we aren't human, pretend that we're perfect, and it just creates worse and worse and worse situations. Is it reasonable to believe in church? Yes, but you need to know why. So two things to keep in mind as we talk every story is different every story is different your situation is different than mine is different than the person next to you every story is different and so i don't know the particulars of your bad church experience parents when your child scrapes their knee Uh, One response may be a little hug and walk it off. Another response legitimate may be, I got to take this kid to go get stitches. Those are different responses to something kind of similar. But you as a parent have to determine which is it. And so in your particular scenario, I don't know, are we talking about a scraped knee experience or are we talking about a surgery experience? I don't know. So as you think about, well, I had this bad experience, how does what Patrick's saying relate to that? You're going to have to figure that out or come talk to me or someone else later. We'll talk about that. We're talking about perspective this morning, not prescription. We're talking about how we think about this, how we think about the entity of the church. So I don't know if your story requires triage or, or a pat on the back. And secondly, every church is different. Every church is different. I don't want to speak for every organization that has the word church on its sign or calls itself a church. Uh, Corrine and I are watching a documentary right now about a church where I would encourage everybody to run away as fast as you can. If you've gotten to the point where they're making a documentary about you, it must be bad, right? I'm not trying to defend that group of people. I, I don't know anything about them. And let me just say this, just as real quick, this is a little, kind of a little aside. There's a a writer, speaker, Jackie Hill Perry, that writes a little bit about church stuff like this, and she just gives three guidelines for whether or not a church is healthy, and I thought these were really helpful. Uh, She says, is the church trying to be more like Jesus, or are they just saying they're trying to be more like Jesus? And I think that's really good. You should look at the substance, not the perfection, but you should look at the direction of the people in that church. Are they perfect? No, probably not. But where are they trying to head? Where are they actively trying to head? Or are they just saying, we've got it all figured out? I think that's very helpful. She also says, is the leadership above criticism at your church? Is the leadership above criticism? If we are, nobody's told me that yet. (laughs) And then she also says, do they allow disagreement? Can people legitimately hold different theological perspectives about a wide range of issues and still feel comfortable being together? I thought those were really valuable. So I I don't know what you're thinking, but we're not trying to defend every organization that calls itself a church. So let's do this, let's talk about this. Number one, the the critics are often right when it comes to church. I don't know if that's ever been said from a stage at a church on a Sunday morning before. People, when they criticize church, are often correct. Their criticisms are correct. Uh, maybe the criticisms that you've had of me or of church were absolutely right. Their criticisms are often correct. Let's, let's, let's call it what it is. There is a lot of failure in the big C church, the big universal church. There is a lot of failure. Uh, a friend of mine tells me about his childhood church And I'm like, how are you still a Christian? Because your church makes the days of our lives plots just look like a knitting circle. There was embezzlement, affairs, shootings. And this wasn't like among the members. This was in the building. This stuff was happening. And he says, yeah, I grew up. I was like, wow, did you make it through? There is a lot of failure in these organizations that people call the church. But but sadly, it's nothing new rewind time a little bit go back to the 19th century and you can find with the with the slavery debate there were there were dedicated hardcore christians working for abolition but there were people who claimed to believe in jesus and uh, and be shaped by scripture that were supporting the practice of slavery i mean when you talk to someone who doesn't believe in church they start to point to things like well look at the history of the church it's not it's not good there are some real dark spots um, how about you go back even, even further to around the 11th century, you get the Crusades. That's, there wasn't a good era. The, the evangelism technique of repent or I will kill you is very effective, but it's not very healthy. As was a thousand years ago. We've got some things right then. I hope so. But people are like, but yeah, but that's, that's your history. That's your past. Or, or go back to the second century. Um, there was, a, there was a, a Greek philosopher by the name of Porphyry who wrote against the Christians. This is in the second century. And I was reading about it this week. It was 15 volumes. He wrote in an encyclopedia about how bad Christians were. And the funny thing is, is we don't have any of it today because the Christians burned all of them. And I'm like, I'm not really surprised. But we have a record of little clips and pieces that he wrote. Even as early as the second century there were people who were like, this whole thing is a disaster. There's just no good that can come from it. But go back even further. Have you ever thought about the bulk of your New Testament that you're holding in your hands is critiques of the church written by the apostles? They were critiques, not every page certainly, but a lot of it was these, these guys trying to say, you're getting it wrong. It was, it was Paul, look at what he said in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. 17. He said in the following directives, this is in your Bible. I have no praise for you, Paul says. Zero praise. I can't even find a silver lining and I'm an optimist. For your meetings do more harm than good. That's, that's in the first century. Now their problem was the Lord's Supper that we just participated in. And they were kind of, they were introducing some, some division and some classism into the Lord's Supper. And so it, it was very, very different. But Paul was like, this is a disaster. You do more harm than good. In fact, you can go back even further before the church existed and read what Jesus said like Matthew 23:13 these are religious people, people who follow God, and he writes woe to you teachers of the law. Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter. You don't enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So so there you go, right? Case closed. Even Paul and Jesus were skeptics. So, Patrick, how do you pull out of this nosedive now? How do you make this sound like the church is something good after reading all that? You can understand. The I love Jesus but not church, it recognizes real problems in people. And the instinct to hold people accountable is a righteous instinct. It is a right thing to hold people accountable. But That, as a solution, backs away from the problem. Jesus and Paul rushed toward the problem. See, what we want to do is we want to create distance from things that we don't like, and Jesus moved toward people that nobody else would move toward. Paul was writing these churches, pleading, saying, I'm going to come visit you. Not because he was like, forget you, I love Jesus and not the church, but because he wanted, he wanted healing for these people. Our instinct is to move away. Their instinct was to move toward. At the end of Matthew 23, 37, this is Jesus who had just re- said these scathing things. And he, he says to these people, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And he's just talking about the, the people of Israel who had rejected God on so many levels. Uh, "'You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, "'how often I have longed to gather you.'" Children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you weren't willing. I wanted, I want closeness. I desire intimacy, not rejection. That's not what the goal is here. In fact, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33, at the end of that thing saying, where you've done more harm than good, he writes, so then my brothers and sisters, when you gather together, you should all eat together. Be together. You find someone you're struggling with, invite them over for dinner. You should be in the room together. You should be at the table together. It's much harder, but it's not about distance. It's not about pushing people away. It's about drawing closer together. Our instinct is to discard and and dispatch and throw away, and that's not what we're called to do at all with imperfect people. We're called to move toward them and find healing and reconciliation. That's the whole point of the gospel. God could have done away with us and said, forget you, I'm writing this whole thing off, but he didn't. It's about redemption and drawing us back into a relationship. Secondly, early in my marriage, I had this friend that did not like Corrine at all. Oh, that was quite... (laughs) You probably didn't hear that online, but there was a low rumble through the room where people were like, uh-oh. Now, you said, uh-oh, because you know Kareen, and you know she's not going to put up with that, but... Uh- <laughs> He, he didn't like it. I don't know if they had gotten off on the wrong foot. I don't know what had happened, but there had been something. He couldn't stand her. And at first, we just thought he was going through something. There was just something in his life and something he needed to work out. So we tried the closeness thing. We tried to, like, invite him over for dinner. So, in fact, I remember this one evening where we invited him over. And just the whole time, he's like just these comments, you know, you can't quite nail it down, but it's just, it's kind of mean-spirited. He would say stuff like, oh, is this the first time you made this recipe? And you're like, is that an insult? I can't tell, like, it seems like an insult. I think it's an insult. And then, oh, my mom makes this so well. It's the best I've ever had. You know, like, why did you need to bring that up? Or one thing he said later on the meal is like, you you know, you could ease off the salt. You know, there's probably a little, and you're like, "We, we, we invited you over. What are you doing, man? So that dinner didn't go super well, but even when she would say stuff, he would just kind of roll his eyes, and you know, it's just body language. It was just ah. So, now he he and I went out later, just the two of us. We went out to do some stuff together, and even while we're out, he's having these conversations with me, and he would be like, "You have to admit, she's she's kind of annoying." And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, she's so direct. How do you put up with that? I mean, come on. you got to put your foot down about that kind of stuff. And I'd be, it's just, you should do something about this. So it was this constant sniping, this constant complaining, and it was weird. And finally, at one point in this conversation, he just turned to me, and he was really direct, and he said, Patrick, I like you, but I cannot stand your wife. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. I want you to read this with me. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I do not have a friend that hates Corrine. I never have. In fact, how long could a relationship like that truly last? Really? Most people who know both Kareen and I like Kareen much better. (laughs) So just, just want you to know that. It's really the other way around. It would be tough to have a relationship with someone that hated my spouse. How does that work for us to say, I love you, Jesus. You're awesome. I want to be more like you. This whole mess, I don't know. I don't want to have anything to do with it. It doesn't work. It is a mess. We're not denying that, but that does not work. To reject Kareen is to, in effect, reject me, right? Yeah. Jesus doesn't allow us that option. Here, listen. You cannot engage in a fair-minded, honest reading of the New Testament, the basis for the Jesus we love, and walk away thinking with any, any sense of reasonableness, that Jesus would be okay with us loving him and ditching, ignoring, discarding, disregarding the church. You would have to mutilate your New Testament beyond recognition. Now I thought about, well, what verses am I going to point to? There's just too many. There's too many that, that support that idea. Um, But, you know, besides the others, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is a chapter later from what we were reading where Paul was critiquing the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, this is what he says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. That's not how this works. There's a coordination that has to happen here. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, when the eyes and the hands and the feet don't work in coordination, it's a real problem. As we get older, we realize that. Like, oh, the body parts aren't working like they're supposed to. Why didn't I take advantage of the thriving in my youth? But things are starting to break down. But that's not a good thing. Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker, they're indispensable. We cannot live without those weak parts of our body. He says, verse 23, in the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. In the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. It seems that the ultimate failure of I love Jesus but not the church is that that's just simply not an option Jesus gives us. It's just not an option. We have to figure out how to make that relationship work. We have to figure that out. Now, acknowledging that there's failure, but we have to figure that out if we want to love Jesus. You can walk away from the whole thing. I don't think you should do that. But to love Jesus, we have to figure out how to love the church. So where does this, uh, where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? We're going to wrap up with this. Where does this leave us? What do we do? How? How do we love the church? Especially if you've been hurt by it. Years ago, I was visiting a church. Um, I'd never been there before. I love visiting churches. One of my favorite things to do. And it was Mother's Day, and they'd given all the ladies a rose, you know, it was Mother's Day. It's a nice thing to do. Uh, so at the end of services, we're gathering up full room, gathering up our stuff, and this, I didn't see that the lady I was sitting next to had set her rose on the ground. This is a true story, not a friend hates my wife story, by the way, just in case. Uh, she had set this rose on the ground, and I was gathering up my stuff, getting ready to go, and I absolutely crushed this rose that was on the ground. Trampled like a rose on the ground made me think of those lyrics. Anyway, she uh, she was upset. She was pretty miffed. I mean, I understand. I felt bad, you know, and my instinct immediately was to... F- feel bad I didn't know how to solve the problem but pretty quickly I didn't feel bad anymore because she started letting me have it I mean she wasn't like just out rude like punching me but it was clear her body language her tone that kind of watch where you're stepping what in the world and I'm thinking in my mind like what are you talking about like why are you being rude to me I didn't know your dumb flower was on the ground I didn't say any of this because that's not my personality but I was thinking it and then I started thinking I'm a guest here. I don't know what's going on, you should treat me better. You, madam, are the problem. I didn't say any of that, but that's what I'm thinking. I had this reaction. You know, your mind starts really winding up, like what kind of church is this? I mean, what kind of preacher do they have that doesn't teach their members to be nice to the guests? I mean, you know, I'm never coming back here. This is, this is a bad church experience, right? Maybe I'll even give them a bad Google review. Members were really mean when I accidentally stepped on flowers. So on this way out, I see this horrible church member talking to a greeter at the front door, and the greeter said something to the lady, oh, thanks for visiting us today, we're glad you could be here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it dawned on me. Both of us were visitors. And I'm guessing, I don't know, but I'm guessing she maybe let the greeter have a piece of her mind about that rude member that had crushed her flower into oblivion. I'm guessing that she was having the same negative thoughts that I was having, and we were both looking at the other person saying, it was your responsibility to do better, you need to do better, not me, and we're both guests in this scenario. Interesting, we tend to assume That everyone else is the problem can I let you in on another sad truth you have all had bad church experiences there's a really good chance that you have been someone's bad church experience yeah Patrick now that's a left turn that's not really fair I just wanted to play the victim here and now you're telling me that I'm part of the problem yeah we're all part of the problem. But that's good news, because it means that we can be part of the solution. Back in the turn of the 20th century, um, the Times of London sent out this question to a bunch of leaders and thinkers of the era, and the question they wanted them to write back to the times with like little guest essays, guest columns, uh, was this, what do you think is wrong with the world today? So they got back all these essays, this is in, this is in England, Great Britain, uh, and the essays were about like crime, and industrialism, and the worst, the big culprit, was Irish immigration, because the Irish people are the worst, and they were just making everything terrible and awful. That was like the big, huge problem, and they're getting back all these answers. There's this great Christian thinker, philosopher, theologian, his name is G.K. Chesterton. I'm going to read you his response in its entirety to the newspaper. What do you think is wrong with the world today? He wrote this, Dear sirs, I am sincerely G. K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world today? It's me. I have not been able to get this out of my mind, and so if I don't say it, it's just going to be sticking in my brain forever, but I've been thinking about the words, the sage advice uh, from one of today's modern philosophers, Taylor Swift. It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. I've been thinking about that all week. (laughs) Now you have to think about it too, and I hope you listen to it in the car on the way home. Here's the crazy thing about the church. Yes, we are the problem, but we are also the solution. The redemption that we can experience through Christ is something that we have been given the freedom to offer to other people that are the problem and are causing bad church experiences. All right, I've been honest. This is why church is tough, but here's why it's great. Three things, three things. Church is great because it is a place to love and be loved. I have never experienced more love than I have from people that consider themselves followers of Jesus and participants in the church. I just never, I have. This is me. I don't know about you. This is me. I've never experienced more undeserved love than from people who consider themselves followers of Jesus and participants in church. It's a place to give and receive grace I have never experienced more grace tangibly experienced more grace than I have from people in this room none of the other groups and organizations that I do stuff with have I experienced more grace than from people in this room and number three it's a place to grow and be grown because I hate to break it to you you are not perfect yet and the opportunity that imperfect people provide you to become a more perfect person is invaluable none of those things none of that list can be done well on one's own i want to wrap up with this quote philip yancey wrote a book called church why bother he grew up in a terrible church he talks about his church It was awful. And he says for a season that he left the church. But I wanted to share this quote with you because I thought this was so valuable because I think it articulates something that is hard to experience uh, unless you've given up on the church. And so if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good, uh, that's fine. You don't need this. But if you're feeling like I got one foot out the door, then this may be helpful for you to hear. Philip Yancey writes, at a deep level, I sense that the church contains something I desperately need. Whenever I abandon the church for a time, I find that I am the one who suffers. My faith fades and I grow colder. And what he's saying is, is when I create distance from the church, it's not the church that suffers because you know what? Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The church will not suffer, but you will. The church won't do bad. It's going to be just fine, but you will suffer. That's Yancey's conclusion from experience. I want to tell you this. That bad church that I went to when I was 12 years old, uh, it was bad. That was the congregation in which I took my first steps of faith. That was the church I got baptized in. Now, some of you are like, well, you just got baptized so they would like you. (laughs) No, I'm telling you. Somehow, through the, the mess and the badness and the meanness, somehow the light still got through. Isn't that an, an Anne Lamott quote from, from Leonard Cohen? There's cracks in everything, and yet that's how the light gets through? And that's true. The light gets through imperfect people, and it filters its way down to people who need to hear that message of redemption. It filters down into 12-year-old Patrick where he takes his first steps of faith. And he realizes that even bad church can, can be used by Jesus. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades, mean Christians, bad experiences will not prevail against it. I think we can and should critique church, but I don't think we can love Jesus and not the church. And I think you will be better for loving the church.